0: chapter 7, beginning at verse 24. Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears the words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law This is the Gospel of Christ Loving Father, we do thank you so much for your word uh, it's, it's the words of life, it's the words of hope, it's the words of peace for us. Uh, just help us now as we hear from it, um, as we seek to live under it. Um, help, us, um, help us obey it. Amen. Uh, life's, life's mainly about choices, isn't it? A lot of choices in life. Uh, each day we make choices. Uh, You get up, you choose what to eat, you might choose what to wear, maybe choose what to wear unless you're a five-year-old and struggle to put clothes on in the morning. Um, You choose what to watch, Uh, you choose maybe what hairstyle will suit your mood. Today is happy. Um, Most of these choices have minimal impacts on things, don't they? But there are times in life where one choice, one decision can change everything. Uh, For me, it would probably be having to decide to ask my wife to marry me. Um, At one level, it was a very easy decision to make. Um, Becky's fairly awesome, um, so no doubts there. Um, And I knew that she'd say yes to me. Um, But I I still knew that it was going to be a life-changing event, and it it totally was. I mean, three kids later, 11 years down the track, totally changing. Um, I wonder if you can think of things in your life where just one choice has changed everything, the one choice has changed everything. Uh, maybe you've, you've chosen to go somewhere and something's happened. Uh, maybe you, you've met a certain person and everything's changed after that. Maybe you, you picked a, a particular study route uh, through university or something and you remember sitting there wondering what to do and it's led you on to a new career choice, which you've loved. And uh, Maybe you've choose to move to a new country or a new place or anywhere and things have been totally different because of it. Uh, One choice can change everything. Uh, Well, this morning we're looking at the very end of the famous Sermon on the Mount. The very end of the famous Sermon on the Mount. And it's it's where Jesus, he's he's gathered his disciples to teach them about what the kingdom of God is like and about how those in the kingdom should act. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount, it's been described as the supreme jewel in the crown of Jesus' teaching. And it contains many things familiar to both Christian and non-Christian, doesn't it? I mean, it has the Lord's Prayer in it. It has some fantastic teachings as well that are very well known. Turn the other cheek. Uh, Love your enemies. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Take the plank out of your own eye. Uh, And so on. So many more in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, If you've never actually read the Sermon on the Mount, uh, can can I strongly suggest and recommend that you, you pick it up sometime this week. And just go through it. It's chapter 5 to 7 in Matthew. It's not too long, but it's a powerful read. And in our passage today, right at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, at the very end of this supreme jewel of Jesus' teaching, Jesus sets before us a choice. Jesus requires us to make a decision on what we will base our lives. Whether it's on the rock We're on sand. Uh, But before we get to his choice, before we get to his choice, it's quite important um, that we look at the little bit at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, after Jesus finishes teaching. Uh, The the previous three chapters, the, the whole of the Sermon on the Mount, is just one long, continuous monologue by Jesus. Jesus is preaching. It's the longest, continuous teaching of Jesus in the whole Bible. But here, at the end of the chapter, at the end of the sermon, Matthew briefly introduces us to a different voice. You can see, hopefully, in verse twenty-eight. Good. um, Verse twenty-eight. It says, "When Jesus had finished these things, the the sermon, the crowds were amazed at his teachings, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law." And and so we hear this, this final group of people, the crowd who had been sitting there, who had been listening in while Jesus was teaching. The the men and women crowded around listening to his teaching. And you see how they respond to his sermon. They are amazed at it. And, And Matthew, the author, helpfully shows us why they're amazed. We don't have to guess why they're amazed. He says it's because they were amazed that Jesus taught as one who had authority. And not like the teachers of the law. They're amazed because his teaching carries authority. Uh, They're amazed because somehow in the manner that he taught and in the content that he taught, they're amazed at his authority and the authority of his words, how it's so different to the teachers of the law who who just repeated other teachings or, or recycled and repackaged things which were handed on to them. Here is Jesus who teaches with authority. All through the Sermon on the Mount, he says, You have heard it said, but I tell you, he's teaching with supreme authority here. And therefore, because of this, his words must be listened to. Because of the words, and because of the one who is saying them, the one who is teaching them. These are the words of God Himself. The words that are to be listened to. The words have authority because Jesus is to be listened to because Jesus has authority. Well, let's just uh, think about what that might mean a bit more for us as we're we're working through things. For starters, it doesn't just apply to the Sermon on the Mount, does it? It doesn't just apply to the words of Jesus that we might read in the Gospels. No, all of the Bible is God-breathed. All of the Bible is God's word to us. If you were here last week, uh, Jay helpfully looked at the importance of scripture and how it 's the basis for what we believe because it 's god 's truth to us all of the Bible is god 's truth to us not, not just little bits on it uh, but we get people all the time who 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 kind of don 't get this are they you know there 's people who say oh, no I love jesus 's teachings oh, I love Jesus how he talks about love he talks about Mercy, he talks about forgiveness and kindness. I love that teaching from Jesus. Mm, Paul, not so sure about it. He's a bit weird. Some of the other New Testament stuff, not so sure about mm, And the Old Testament stuff, mm, wrath, anger. No, totally don't like that. I'm sure you know people like that too. But the assumption behind that is that different parts of the Bible carry different weights of authority. Well, no, all Scripture is God-breathed. All scripture, all of the Bible is Jesus' words. Uh, if, you've got a, if you happen to have a red letter Bible, that's fine. You can have one of them. Um, uh, they might be helpful reading aids for you, but, but please don't let that guide your theology on what the Bible is. Everything in the whole Bible is breathed out from God to us. It's God's, God's word. It carries Jesus' authority to us. Uh, One thing we used to do um, at St. Stephen's when we had a church, we'd used to, and and I know a lot of other Anglican churches do this, so it's kind of a confession, and I hope I don't get in trouble. Um, We used to always stand at the gospel reading. And I always felt slightly uncomfortable with that. It felt like it was placing greater emphasis and greater value on the gospels, and then meanwhile, you've got the the rest of the Bible, which is kind of, "Mm, but the gospels, well, totally not like that. The whole Bible is God's authority to us. It's Jesus' words to us. See, if you thought the Bible was written just by any old person, you could just take and leave what you wanted from it. You could pick and choose what you wanted, what you liked, what you didn't like. We can't do that. The second we say that it's God breathed, that the Bible is from God and our Creator and our Lord, then it ups the seriousness of what we're reading. Everything in the Bible is from God to us, from Jesus to us. So the crowds here, they were amazed at his teaching. His words must be listened to. But if we were just to leave it at that, we we would totally miss out the main point of what Jesus is saying here. uh, In this most famous illustration that we know. We've got the story here. I've got a story of two men, I've got a story of two men building houses, and what happens to these houses and these men. And Jesus tells this story, he uses this illustration with one point in mind, just one point in mind, one thing that he's trying to make clear, and that is that his words are to be obeyed. Jesus' words are not simply words to be listened to, they're words to be obeyed. Let's look at the, the illustration that Jesus has given to us. And it's so familiar to many of us. I don't know how many of you are humming along after it was read or during it was read. I don't know if you're doing that. I know some of you probably were. But you can see it there from verse 24 through to 27, can't you? And there's two halves which are almost identical, aren't they? You've got verse 24 and 25. They're almost exactly the same as verse 26 and 27 almost identical word for word you've got two men who here who build a house you've got the rains come down you've got the streams rose you've got the winds blowing there's so much repetition there that it's it's obvious isn't it there's hardly any words that are different but the few words that are different they make all the difference they highlight the similarities and in, and in turn the differences between the two builders to start with both of them hear hear the words of Jesus one hears and does them and one hears and doesn't do them one hears and puts it into practice and one hears and does not put it into practice the wise person is wise here because they recognize the reality that God's word is to be heard and done And the foolish person is a fool because they think that God's word is only to be heard. Now, what we can often do when hearing about those two types of people, the wise and the foolish, is to mistakenly think that we are the wise, that Tim is the wise, that we are the wise here, that the ones here who come each week who sit regularly in church, who maybe go to Bible study groups, who, who come every week. We think we're the wise and the foolish person is the one who, who's out there, the one who maybe comes to, to maybe one in five services or Christmas or Easter or anything like that. We think we're the wise because we're in here and they're the foolish. You know, We've been incredibly blessed over the years at St. Stephen's, haven't we? I hope you realize that. We've had minister after minister who loves God's word and places such a high priority on it in our services. But we have to be careful with that. We prioritize good teaching and and emphasize that if you want to grow and be godly, you need good teaching, and rightly so. But often the way we talk about it and think about it, we, we can often think that good teaching and the way we think about it and talk about it is like having a shower to get clean. Now bear with me, it sounds a bit weird, but If I want to be clean, I go have a shower. I soap up, I wash off, and I'm clean. The more I shower, the cleaner I am. So we can think, the more I sit under the teaching of God, the more I sit under the teaching of God's word, the more godly I become. Well, it doesn't happen like that. And this is a particularly appropriate message for those of us who are privileged enough to receive faithful biblical teaching, we must also put it into action. I've known so many people over the years, and I'm sure you have too, you've known people who can give all the right answers to questions about God and about Jesus and the Bible. For people who who find wisdom in Jesus' teaching, people who find comfort in, in being with other Christians, people who love singing the songs. You can have two people who get Christian books from the same shop, who who both listen to the exact same Christian message from Jay or from the Gospel Coalition website or whatever, who who go to the same house group uh, each week or who go to the same conferences, but one of them is a fool while the other is truly wise. One is truly wise, but the other is self-deluded. If you merely listen, you'll be self-deluded. The other similarity between the two builders uh, is that in both cases we've got the rain coming down, the streams rising, the winds blew and beat against the house. Uh, We know all of us sooner or later we're going to face inevitable pressures from life. These can include so many things. Some of us are going through things at the moment. They could be suffering, sickness, bereavement. Disappointments, misunderstandings, loneliness, trials, temptations, doubts. Life is hard. And ultimately, all of us will face death one day. And will face God's judgment. And Jesus warns of it here and he warns of it throughout the whole New Testament too. And this highlights the difference between the two houses built and how we'll respond. And the difference is in the foundations. The wise man built his house on the rock and the foolish on the sand. Uh, In Christchurch we know very well about foundational work now. Probably half of our congregation has had foundational work done and redone and everything like that. If you drive through the centre of town you can see foundational work that's been happening. That's because foundations of the houses are so important. And in our parable here, the foundations of the houses are so different. And it's because of that that the results are equally different. When the rains come down, the streams rose and the winds beat and blew on the houses, the house built on the rock did not fall. It stayed firm. But the other one fell with a great crash. And these are are words of warning to us. I think uh, John Calvin He said that true piety is not fully distinguished from its counterfeit till it's come to its trial. A trial may come to us during this life or it may come on the day of judgment, but what is certain according to Jesus is that it will come. And it's not a threat here from Jesus, but it's a loving warning. Jesus knew that in the long run it's more loving to warn people by telling them the truth. And Jesus warns us today, not in order to frighten us, but because he loves us so much. And he wants us to avoid any crash. He wants us to be like the wise man whose home did not fall, but stood up to the test. The promise of Jesus is that a house built on the rock, on his words, obeying his words, will withstand the storms of life. A life founded on obedience to Jesus is safe no matter what the storms of life may bring. Jesus tells us then um, that the key difference, we've had the similarities, the key difference is that the wise man not only hears the words of Jesus, but he puts them into practice, remember. The foolish man, on the other hand, although he hears the words, he does not put them into practice. Now, Now, this can raise... Other questions for you. I mean, we so need to be clear that Jesus is not saying that we need to earn our way into the kingdom by good works. He's totally not saying that. That that would be contrary to what Jesus says um, elsewhere in the Sermon on the mountain it's contrary to what the rest of the New Testament teaches. I mean, at the start of the Sermon on the Mount, he said it's those who recognize their poverty of spirit, those who recognize how how lost they are, to whom the kingdom of God belongs. In the book of Romans, Paul expounds why no one can be justified by their own works, but only through grace and faith in Christ. It's not saying at all that we earn our way to heaven by our works. Uh, Secondly, Jesus doesn't mean that a person who puts his words into practice will be sinless, will lead a sinless life. He's not saying that either. Again, the Bible is very clear about this. No one who lived a sinless life apart from Jesus all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that. And John tells us that if we claim to be without sin, we're lying. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So what's Jesus teaching here then? If if he's not teaching justification by works or sinless perfection, what's he teaching? Well, again, he's teaching. He's teaching just what the rest of the Bible affirms. That listening alone is not enough. Hearing alone must lead to action. We can know all the right stuff, can't we? We can know everything about the Bible. We can know everything. We can have a degree in theology. But knowledge must lead to action. Theory must be put into practice. Our theology must affect our lives. Or else we're just building our lives on the sand. Finally, what does this look like then in our lives? What does this look like as we as we go to live our lives trying to live like this in this harsh way? Well firstly, to put the words of Jesus into practice will mean repentance. Now the Sermon on the Mount is also being described as a terrifying call to repentance. As we look at the standards set in the Sermon on the Mount, we see how desperately we fall short of that. We cry out to God for mercy and we turn our backs on our old lives. We repent of our lack of love, our unforgiveness, our anger, our lust, our pride. But secondly, it also means putting our faith in Jesus. It's when we see how far fall, how far we fall short of the standard set out for us, we recognise that we can't save ourselves, that there's nothing we can do, and we cry out for a Saviour. Uh, in terms of the Sermon on the Mount... What it means, if you've read through the Sermon on the Mount, so many points on it, what it will look like in our lives, this will be seen in who we are. It will be seen in our poverty of spirit, our mourning over our and our humility, our thirst for righteousness, our mercy, our purity of heart, our peacemaking, our rejoicing when we're attacked because of our faith. It will be seen in how we live as the salt of the earth and and bright lights in a dark world. It will be seen in our lives, not being angry with fellow believers, but rather being reconciled. In our control of ourselves, in our our ruthless control of lust, in our not even contemplating divorce, in living lives with complete integrity, these are ways that it's shown out in our lives, our desire to obey Jesus' teaching. It will see it in our our secret life of giving to the needy, of prayer and our forgiveness of those who sin against us. It will show itself in the fact that we store up treasures in heaven and not on earth, that that we make God's kingdom the priority of our lives. It will be seen in our relationships with one another, that we're not judgmental about each other, that we seek God with all our hearts and that we do to others what we'd want them to do to us. And finally, it will show our commitment to take the narrow path, to take the road hard traveled, and to build our lives on the rock. Uh, so, the question I just want to leave with us all today as I finish is it, a simple one. It's as simple as Jesus's one, and I've probably complicated it way more than it probably could have been done. But Jesus gives us a choice Are we going to be wise or are we going to be foolish? Are we going to be wise and obey Jesus' teachings, putting our trust in Him as our Creator, our Lord, our Judge, and humbly coming back to Him in repentance each time we fail? Or are we going to be foolish and just hear Jesus' words just with familiarity and indifference and just let it wash over us and have no meaning on our lives at all? We've got the choice. What are we going to do? Are we going to be wise or are we going to be foolish? I'm just going to have a, a time of silence now. Uh, just while we can have some time just to reflect on this in our own hearts and our own minds. Just to, to be thinking about areas where we know we need to obey God more. Um, but also to to cry out to him when we struggle. Uh, we'll, we'll just have a time of silence and then I'll I'll close in prayer and then Tim will take over. Father God, help us to obey you more. Uh, Help us to to want to obey you with with all our hearts. Uh, Help us to to read your word with the hunger of wanting to obey you, not just a a hunger for head knowledge or anything like that. Uh, Father, just help us to turn to you in humility when we fail. But help us, Father, to to always pick ourselves up and keep going and keep striving to obey you in all the things that we do. I give us strength to do this. give us strength when we fail. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. That changes us and wants to be more like you every day. Amen.